Praise the Lord and welcome to the broadcast today on this beautiful last day of May the 31st. 2021 here in my office. I'm Pastor Curtis Hutchinson, Crossway Church, Queen City, Texas. This is our Hebrews Bible study that we have on Mondays and Thursdays online at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. You can watch it live here on the Pastor Curtis Facebook page or here on the YouTube channel, which is Curtis Hutchinson 316. And uh, everything we do is uploaded there and the website, which is thecrosswaychurch.com. But this morning, we will take off and dig right into Hebrews chapter 5. Going to have a great, great uh, time. And I pray that you would uh, find us as often as you can and follow along with us. We've taught the entire book of Galatians verse by verse, Ephesians verse by verse, and and every morning on Facebook, uh, and I have two Facebook pages, Curtis Hutchinson and the Pastor Curtis Facebook page. On both of those pages, every morning around 7.30 a.m. Central Time, I post Scripture as we go through the Word. And they're always in the light of Christ, a true gospel-centered, which is cross-centered mind, a focus on Christ and what He did at Calvary. And uh, we, we are uh, working our way through the, the book of Psalms, verse by verse. We've done it all the way through Proverbs, and I just look so forward to, to hearing from the Lord all the way through, verse by verse, word by word, precept upon precept, line upon line, all the way through the whole book of Psalms. I, the Lord is pouring out of His truth of His Spirit in these last days, filling His people with His Spirit and His words of truth, which we both desperately need to walk through this life, to be able to experience our Savior and to glorify our Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. This weekend, Robin and I and the Peace family will be in Sydney, Ohio at the Preeminent Word Fellowship Church. Pastor Preston Nasal's the pastor there and a great congregation. If you're anywhere near there, please drive on in and be with us. It'll be Saturday morning at 10 and 5 p.m. that day and then the next morning, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And we're just looking so forward to being with Pastor Preston, his wife, Robin and the congregation there again and uh, we'll just be teaching the Word of God, preaching the Word of God and just uh, just enjoying the presence of the Lord and the fellowship of those who have this, this like precious faith, that faith in the cross alone. Hallelujah. And we're thankful for that. Praise God. So today, again, it's the, it's the 31st day of May 2021. This is chapter 5, Hebrews, and this is part 1. So let's dig in this morning. I just believe the Lord. I've already asked the Lord to, to impart to you, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever day this might be, the wisdom of God, the power of God, the, a greater illumination of God's Word, which is the revelation of His living Word, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So grab your Bibles, your pencil, your paper, and get ready. Let's receive of the Lord today. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. 
And what we'll see here in these first few verses in Hebrews chapter 5 is the Holy Spirit showing us the, the, the priesthood of men that, that were chosen of the Lord to, from among men to deal with men pertaining to the things of God. God set a priesthood in order and a high priest he set in office. It was, he began the whole priesthood with Aaron and his sons. And you know as well as I do, if you're a Bible student, that all throughout the ages of Israel, to be in the priesthood, you had to be a Levite. But to be a, the high priest, to be among uh, those who would, would be high priest, ever be high priest, you had to be, to be, you had to be a son of Aaron. You had to be in that lineage to be a high priest, to be in the priesthood. Now, the Levitical uh, priesthood were just the people of the tribe of Levi. And I'm not going to get too much into that today, but if you go back, you'll see the very reason the Lord chose the Levites to, to be able to draw a priesthood out of them because that's what Aaron was. He was of the Levitical priesthood, him and his sons, and all the Levites were chosen by God to tend to the things of the, the, the showbread, keeping the light burning, and, and the cleansing of the pots and utensils, and, and all the things that dealt with the, the, the temple, the tabernacle. The Levites were given that great honor and great privilege because... When Moses came down the mountain after receiving the law, Israel was in sin and had built a golden calf. And the Lord through Moses, you can read this in Exodus 32 and 33, and the Lord spoke through Moses and said, who's on the Lord's side? Well, without getting too much into this, out of 12 tribes, one tribe, a part, a part of one tribe came out of all the 12 tribes to be on the Lord's side, which was to come back to a, a place of exclusive faith in the altar, the sacrifice. And that was the Levites. So, so out, of the, out of the Levites, God would start a priesthood. And that's here he says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained, appointed by God, for men in things pertaining to God. And remember, if you go back and study, God told Moses that it would be Aaron and his sons. Nobody else. Even after the Israelites came out of 70 years of captivity, a lot of them had no paperwork to prove they were Levites. Therefore, that eliminated them from being in the priesthood. You had to have paperwork showing you were of the lineage of the Levites to be in the priesthood, uh, to, to tend to the things of the tabernacle. And, and really because it all pointed to Christ who would be the great high priest. And, and one more thing before we move on this morning. It also shows the exclusivity. I've got to use that word more and more. God has always shown the exclusivity and the narrowness of the approach to him. He has called all peoples to serve him, to believe upon him. He has called all. He gave his son for the world. But even under the old covenant, 
if you wanted to serve Jehovah, you had to be involved. You had to come in to Israel, and you had to be circumcised. You had to follow along with the rituals, the rites, the ceremonies, the feasts. You could not just come in with your own beliefs. If you wanted to be a part of Israel, you had to serve Jehovah. And you had to be involved in the things God had ordered them, commanded them to be a part of. And let me say it again. God, the, the approach to God has always been very narrow. You can't just choose how you'll come to God. And because we know that, that chooses that, that that proves that you don't, you and I, we don't get to just choose how we'll live for God. Because the same way we live for God is the same way we were allowed to approach Him, and that's through faith in the blood, my friend. No, no other way. You don't get to choose how you will serve God. The Bible tells us how we'll serve Him and to, and to narrow it down to a point of reference in Romans chapter 6, we'll serve Him in righteousness or we'll be serving the sin nature. Obedience or sin is what Romans chapter 6 bears down. So these priests, the high priests, were taken from among men and ordained, appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. The whole priesthood was about the problem of sin. That's what sacrifices were always about. All through the ages, God showed up in the Garden of Eden when we sinned in Adam and Eve. What did he do? He didn't do <coughs> what the false prophets and the ministers of, of, of unrighteousness would say today. If you pick a thousand berries, I'll give you ten thousand berries. If, if you do this, then I'll do No, God didn't do that. God came in and gave the verbal promise of what He would do through His offering of the seed of the woman. And then God turned around and God killed an animal or two or whatever it was probably lambs because of the sacrificial promise being that is pointing to the Lamb of God, but we're not told that in Genesis. But God killed the animals and God sacrificed the animals for Adam and Eve on their behalf. God did this. Adam and Eve did nothing. They had to only do one thing and that was choose to believe that was the avenue God had given them to clothe them, to, di to disrobe them from the, from the fig leaves. They had tried to dress themselves and hide their nakedness. The only thing that hides our nakedness and shame and fear and condemnation that's in sin is the covering that comes from the sacrifice God provides. Hallelujah. And that's the robes of righteousness. And what God did in the garden, let me say that again, it's so precious. What God did in the garden, what God offered in the garden is what we have to believe, not what we go and do. And we need to remember that. God gave the promise verbally. God physically manifestly carried out, showed them what the promise would be like, a substitute on their behalf, something innocent that had not sinned would pay the price for their sin to cover them before God, to be in relationship with God, to have fellowship with God all exclusively through faith in this promise of a Redeemer 
through faith in the sacrifice that they would now have to offer to prove their faith was legitimate. And you know the story. Cain came and said, I'm not offering that. And Abel had a more excellent sacrifice, which was the obedience of heart. To offer that, listen carefully, to offer that through faith that God had offered them. What had God offered them? God had offered them fellowship, restored fellowship, restored leadership, restored guidance, restored peace and comfort, knowing that he had not left them. He, he would stay with them. He, Cain refused to be obedient. It wasn't because Cain brought some old ragweeds or whatever. Listen, Cain would not bring the blood required. He brought what he wanted. He brought the work of his own hands he, he, because his heart was disobedient to God. And when we have our faith in anything other than what God has offered us for our faith to be in, we are vagabonds. I don't care how long you... It's been since you got saved. If you've been caught up in legalism and law and carried off through the lust of your own flesh to, to believe now that it's, a, it's about the government of 12, the this and the that and all the schemes of unrighteousness that's been brought into the church, that, that's why, listen, having a new fad that comes out in the church every year, that's the result of being a vagabond. Oh, somebody needs to hear this. I'm waiting on the newest book. The, you're bet your best life now, the government of 12, the, the words you confess, the Emmaus walk, the promise keepers, all that, they don't point you to Calvary. They point you to things you need to do. Not just simple childlike faith in what Christ did at Calvary. Someone's listening to me this morning and you're disturbed over what you're hearing because you're caught in this dilemma. You're involved in some of these other things. And the Lord has crossed our paths, not so you can end up saying, well, I, I just that guy's mean. That guy doesn't know what God's really doing today. I know what God's really doing today. He's trying to get you and me to understand to a better degree that he's already said there's nothing new under the sun. What's been done will be done again. What was will be. That's in Ecclesiastes. You better wake up. When people say, come and hear the new thing God's doing, God says in His Word, there is no new thing under the sun. There's one thing God provided that'll make a new creation out of you and provide the newness of His mercies every day. And it's not what we do. It's what He, do, he did at Calvary in His Son. It's what He has done. It's His work. It's His righteousness. It's His way. It's His kingdom. And, and all the promises are in Christ. Yes and amen. But they're unto the glory of God by us. And if we're not found in this exclusive way, not just an exclusive entrance, though it is very exclusive, but an exclusive way to where we are headed that many, many on this narrow way will look back as Lot's wife. But the Bible says in Hebrews in, in, the, in the 11th chapter that 
Listen, if they had been mindful of where they'd come out, then they had the opportunity there. The opportunity would have been to return. But you and I, we're not mindful of where we came out. We're mindful and looking for that country, that city wherein dwells righteousness, and we're moving on. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I, and when we talk about the priesthood, we're talking about an exclusive, narrow approach to God. God set up the priesthood because his, listen very carefully, God established the priesthood because he will have an eternal great high priest, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will have an eternal priesthood of believers. A priesthood, that which pertains to God. That was because of sin. We've been delivered, forgiven, set free, and learning to live without the bondage of the sin nature. Hallelujah. So he says now in verse 2 that, that he's this man, this passion on the ignorant and on them that are even out of the way. They've gone astray because he himself also is compassed with infirmity. This proves this is not talking about Jesus, this is talking about the priesthood among men because Jesus wasn't compassed with his own infirmity like men are. Jesus was only encompassed with our infirmity. But he's talking about here, What? let's read it again. This, this, this high priest who is, is ordained for men pertaining to God, uh, that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, he can have compassion on the ignorant, those that don't really understand that they don't know. Ignorant means I don't know. And on them that are out of the way. They do know, but they've got they've erred from the way for because that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. He himself also is beset by weakness, is what this means. Even the men who were of, of the Levites, even those of Aaron and his sons, who could be the only priest among all the Levites, even they were beset through the weakness of sin. They were encompassed with infirmity themselves. They, they understood the ignorance of men. They understood uh, at times men that would go wayward because they also were men who were weak and beset by sin and would go wayward. And, by, and, and we know that because as you go back and you read the Old Testament, you'll see Aaron lying to God, lying to Moses. When Moses comes down the mountain, Moses says, Where'd the calf? How'd the calf get there? And Aaron said, well, all, uh, all these people just gave me their jewelry and we threw it in the fire and out came this calf. And, and, and Aaron's lying. So these priests, this priest, the, the high priest, even Aaron and his sons around him, they were encompassed. They were beset with weakness because all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means all men. If you're, if you're of the Catholic uh, belief, you need to know that even Mary is a sinner. She was a sinner. 
had to be saved by grace, had to trust in the one that God brought through her, the seed of the woman. But the woman wasn't divine. The woman wasn't without sin. The woman was just the one that carried the, the, the great high priest that would be our great high priest forever and the one that would be without sin. But Mary was not without sin. We know that because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God because Mary was born of a man and a woman who were sinners and we begat sinners after sinners after sinners. If we didn't, then there would be no need to be born again. We need to remember that because the Catholic folks, and you need to get an opportunity minister to them. I remember uh, having dinner one night with a man uh, when I was uh, on, on my job away out of town on business years ago, and, 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 and he, he started talking about the Bible. And, and I said, you believe the Bible's true, every word of it? He said, oh, yes, I do. Yes, oh, yes, I do. I said, so you believe all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Oh, yes, I do. I said, you know that means Mary, too. I knew, see, I knew he was of the Catholic belief. And I always point out there because that, that we don't believe what they believe. They, they believe things that are unbiblical. And uh, I said, so that, that means if we're all sinners, we've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. I said, even Mary, that includes Mary. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. You know, there, can be, there was an exception. I said, no, there are no exceptions. You know, see, which really it got down to the place where he had to admit he, he really didn't believe the Bible because there are other books written that are contrary to the Bible that he believes. You've got to let that go, my friend. The Bible's the Word of God. Those that walked with Christ were allowed by God and the only ones that were allowed by God other than the Apostle Paul who was chosen by Christ himself after his death, burial, and resurrection to write what he wrote. But you had, you had to be in the ministry of Christ through his life to have the authority to write the word of God, all except for Paul. You need to know that. And what's written there, you can't come up and write another book and say this, 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 this is God told me that like Joseph Smith and that Mormon demonic satanic mess, that's not of God. If Joseph, if, if Joseph Smith uh, would have had the Spirit of God, he would have realized when that angel called, he said, called Moroni, approached him and gave him all this new vision, he, he would have known the Bible said, even if an angel from heaven come and preach any other gospel than that which I preach to you, let them be accursed. He would have told old Moroni that he was full of baloney, told him to get out of his house, get out of here, I'm a Bible believer, but he didn't do that. And that's where the whole cult, satanic mass comes from, that Mormonism. You got to believe Genesis through Revelation. And outside of that, if you don't believe Genesis through Revelation is the final revelation, the finalized word of God in the person and the work of Jesus Christ contained in the Bible, then you think that redemption's not through yet. And there's where, there's where the rub comes in because that's what the enemy is after. That the message of the cross, that, that you begin to doubt what happened at Calvary, you begin to doubt that Jesus finished the work at Calvary. 
And that's why Catholics believe they can pay somebody's way on into heaven after they die. That's, that's, that's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. That's calling God a liar. So you've got to be careful with that. These men that were taken from among men and ordained of God in things pertaining to God, they offered gifts and sacrifices for sins. See, the priesthood, there wouldn't have been a priesthood had there not been sin. Sin's always been the issue. Sin's the issue today. You need to understand that. Sin's the issue today. Even if you're a Christian, hear me this morning, if you're a Christian and you don't understand the sin nature, then you won't understand Romans 6 when you're given the, altern- the option to choose between serving sin unto death, which is <clears throat> in ignorance, serving the sin nature unto death, not physical death, death, dead. Like the church in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3. Being told they had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. Like the Apostle Paul saying he was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived. That's the sin nature revived. Took over, began to dominate him again, and he says, I died. He didn't physically die. He moved, he, he, he fell from grace, stepped into a place where fruit cannot be bare. In God's eyes, that's death. That's death. And just because you and I as Christians are alive in Christ doesn't mean we're living. You and I can be dead. Go read the book of Revelation chapter 3, the letter to Sardis, what Paul said in Romans 7, 9, and don't dare believe that he was writing from a lost man's perspective or about a lost man's perspective. Paul was writing about being alive once without the law, the born-again experience after meeting Christ. Alive! There was no alive. You can't be alive under the law. You can only be alive in Christ. Hallelujah. So that refutes all that false teaching about Paul was talking about before he was saved. He wasn't. He was talking about after he was saved. He was alive once without the law. Before, before Christ, Paul would have never ever said he was without the law. The only time he was without the law is when he trusted in Christ. Believed that he had fulfilled it. And he was alive in Christ. But when the commandment came, when he looked back to the commandment and reached back for the commandment to think he could do it. As a Christian, we've all been there as Christians. The sin nature, that's the noun there. It's the noun. The word sin's the noun. Revived, and Paul said he died. Well, we know he didn't fall over dead. But what happened, he stepped into a place he'd write the Galatians about that he fell from grace. Doesn't mean he lost his soul, but it means he fell from grace. He fell from the place God works. That's what grace is, God working. If there's any fruit in our life, it's because God is allowed to work in our hearts. And we never, ever need to forget that Romans chapter 8, verse 2 speaks that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life, works according to a law. And that law, let's read it, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Where did that happen? At Calvary. That's what in Christ refers to. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of grace, the Comforter, works within that perimeter. If you start moving away from the exclusivity 
of the entrance into the kingdom and the way which God works in those that are in the kingdom, you're going to become very confused, disoriented, and you're going to begin to experience, even if you're pretending, the best you can pretend, you're going to be a vagabond unless you return to sound doctrine. Hallelujah. And that's where 99.9% of the church is. Don't, let me say something to my preacher friends. Don't think for a second that it's not 99.9% of the church who is wayward. Because it is. Turn the TV on. Turn the radio on. Listen to a preacher. He's expounding the Word of God, but he's not pointing to the sacrifice of Christ. There will be no power. There will be no wisdom. There will be no uh, a bread on the table of life. Turn the TV on. Listen. Look at articles. Look at old books. You're rare. You 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 are rarely ever going to hear a minister even open the Bible and the Holy Spirit be found expounding through the Word of God there the great redemptive plan of Jesus Christ. The church today thinks they're beyond that. I've been there with that thinking. Well, we're beyond the cross. We're, listen, you're to take it up daily, but you can't take the cross up daily to be able to follow Jesus until you deny yourself, not of a three musketeer bar. What Jesus mean in Luke 9.23 when He said... If any man come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Let's just, as I've got to close now, we didn't get far today, but that's okay. To follow Jesus, you've got to take your cross up. To take your cross up means to have faith in what Jesus did at the cross alone. Your cross is not your divorce. It's not your bankruptcy. It's not your diagnosis from a doctor. Your cross is that which you trusted in that saved you. Or if you're lost, it's that which you trust in that will get you saved. You were crucified with Christ. You better understand this. If you don't know what taking up your cross means, you'll never be able to deny yourself because biblical, scriptural denial of self results in faith in the cross. Jesus taught also in Luke 14, 27, you can't be my disciple if you don't take your cross up and follow me. Faith in the cross, faith in what happened at Calvary it's what produces the love the world should see to realize we're his disciples. It's not because I'm working hard to love each other. It's because my faith is in the cross, which is the very manifestation, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, of God's love to man. And when my faith is there, that's what I'm trusting in. I'm not working hard to love my spouse or you. The Holy Spirit is empowering me, loving you through me, as I close, remember this. Biblical denial of self results in faith in the cross or I've got some fleshly denial that's only going to lead to enhanced fleshly activity. Now I've got to close, but you want to get involved in these Bible teachings 
We're going to learn some powerful truths of God's Word along the way in the days ahead that will set you free from the false doctrine, the doctrines, all the, the, the winds of doctrine that blow through every city of the world and are very attractive. But they're not sound doctrine. Sound doctrine must be tied to and flow from that form of doctrine that freed you from sin and made you a servant of righteousness. I hope you've gotten something good from this today. I always do. Pray for us as we're praying for you. And if the Lord stirs your heart to sow into this ministry, and I pray that He does, I encourage you to do it. You can do that at thecrosswaychurch.com or you can text the word GIVE to the number 903-231-5950. Get involved. Help us publish the Word of God in these last few days that we have as a church before we're taken away with the Lord. And that's coming at any moment. Praise the Lord. I love you. God bless you. Till I see you next time, stay determined to know absolutely nothing but Christ and Him crucified. We'll see you then.